Hello and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen, and I'm joined today by Dr. Jessica Whalen, who is a woman's health expert. So welcome, Dr. Jessica. Hello. Thank you for having me, Colleen. Thank you for being on today. I'm really excited because today we're going to be talking about the effects of hormonal birth control on women's health, which is really important topic that I didn't know very much about until I started working here at HLI. So it's very important, despite growing up Catholic and in the pro-life atmosphere, I didn't really know that much about contraception. So this is a really important topic for people to know about. So um, Jessica, when did you first, what is a woman's health expert actually? And what brought you into this field? I can tell you what I do. So my practice is focused on helping women with all different types of hormone imbalance. So that could be, you know, mood swings, anxiety, depression, could be gut issues, the anxiety, or sorry, I said that sleep issues, like insomnia, fatigue, um, hormonal headaches or migraines, but then also the classic cycle issues. So like heavy menstrual bleeding, painful periods, unpredictable periods, and even recurrent ovarian cysts. Mm-hmm. So I help with all those types of hormonal imbalances and bringing women towards hormone balance. So better moods, deeper sleep, better energy, mm-hmm. and then ultimately easier periods too. Um, so I use, I'm a naturopathic doctor. And so I use, you know, the root cause medicine. We're always trying to find the underlying cause instead of just treating a symptom. And the tools that I use are pretty varied. Um, We use traditional medicine, so it could be nutrition, herbal medicine, lifestyle, hydrotherapy, but also traditional, um, conventional medicine. So this could be, for example, NAPRO technology, which we'll talk about. I'm a Creighton medical consultant. So sometimes I'll use something like bioidentical progesterone or low-dose naltrexone, kind of what I do in a nutshell. (laughs) No, that's a great summary. Yeah, it's, I've gotten a lot more familiar with those terms since I worked here because like a year and a half ago, progestin would have just been like, oh, I don't know what that is. But now, progesterone. But yeah, it's really, mm-hmm. we had a whole episode on abortion pill reversal, which is they use progesterone for that. And so it was so fascinating that it can be used for fertility, but also to save children after they've, a woman's taken the chemical abortion pill. Yes. And it's also used to maintain pregnancies too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's if a woman's in danger of miscarriage, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's why I'm so passionate. Oh, I, I'll oh, just no, tell you I, one interesting tidbit. This is why it's so important to take care of women's health because, well, for many reasons, but speaking of miscarriage, um, having premenstrual syndrome, like PMS, is actually a risk factor for miscarriage and also a risk factor for postpartum depression, both of which are under-evaluated conventionally quite often. Is that because of hormonal imbalances? Oftentimes, like low progesterone. Interesting. And what, so like the PMS, is that just like the mood fluctuations before the period, your period and cramping and stuff like that? Good question. So PMS is actually 10 symptoms. And if you have any one of those 10 symptoms that it's happening, regardless of severity, more than three days before your period, then it's considered clinically significant. Okay. Um, and it's often due to low progesterone <clears throat> or the estrogen progesterone is imbalanced. So it could be, you know, headaches, could be fatigue, insomnia, um, bloating, breast tenderness, um, anxiety, depression, irritability. So the mood part, um, carbohydrate cravings, mm-hmm. um, weight gain, and a couple other ones. But anyway, those are the symptoms. Oh, that's really interesting. 
Yeah. So let's jump into then hormonal birth control and the problems with that, because a lot of women in today's culture are on hormonal birth control. And obviously we're opposed to it as Catholics from a moral perspective, but there's also a bunch of physical side effects and emotional side effects that come along with it. Can you speak about those and what they are and what women who are on birth control struggle with? Absolutely. And I realized I didn't answer your question about how I got into this, but this kind of leads into it is I myself, I've struggled with reproductive health issues my entire life. I started my first ever period when I was 13 um, and struggled for decades with PCOS, so polycystic ovarian syndrome. And conventionally, you know, the treatment is usually the pill because it makes you seem like you're having regular cycles, even though it, it doesn't treat the root cause. And so after struggling so long, you know, going through naturopathic school, I went through later in life. I was in my 30s. Um, <clears throat> And then I found out about the Creighton model after medical school and learned even more. So I was 35 and I, for the first time ever, I was like able to get access to healthcare that was actually taking care of me. Yeah. Um, and I had to grieve. I'm like, wow, I didn't know about this time. 35 years old, you know, but it's changed my life and I'm 39 healthier than I've ever been. So <clears throat> generally when a woman is struggling with, you know, painful periods, PMS, Um, you know, Mm -hmm. hormonal migraines, whatever it could be, the treatment, even heavy menstrual bleeding, the treatment is usually some type of artificial hormone. So that could look like the pill, the the bow shot, the IUD. And some women do feel a little better on these because it's, you know, they're sex steroids. So steroids decrease Mm -hmm. inflammation. Um, And sometimes if it's a hormonal component, like endometriosis, it's like decreasing that estrogen. So it can sometimes make people feel temporarily a little better, but for the majority of women, it makes them feel worse. And that's usually the patients that end up seeing me because <laughs> they want some other option. I would say most of my women do have originally started using artificial hormones for a medical reason, not a contraceptive reason. Interesting. Um, and so we'll talk about, like, I think we're, we're going to talk about the physiological effects and the harmful effects, but then also, like you said, it's, impacting us like we can't separate our mind body and soul and so when we're disconnected from our natural cycles as women it really um does affect us emotionally as well as spiritually um affects our mental health and then if a woman you know is getting married or in a marriage already that's that's um really denying them the opportunity to understand their shared fertility together you know even if they're not intentionally using it for contraception we can't separate the contraceptive use of it from the, from the health use. And it basically works by tricking your body into thinking it's pregnant, correct? Is that generally how hormonal contraceptive works by using steroids that your body, synthetic steroid or hormones that your body would produce while pregnant? Okay. So good question. So the artificial hormones, it's a progestin, Mm -hmm. which is a different molecular structure than the progesterone our body makes, but it does mimic it. And they're also synthetic estrogens. So they're different molecular structure than the estrogen naturally occurring in our body, although it does mimic it. And so that tells our brain, the pituitary gland, that we don't need to be producing, the ovaries don't need to be producing those hormones, and we don't need to be ovulating. So it affects the um, follicle-stimulating hormone and neuroluteinizing hormone. So kind of a better way, honestly, to think about it is it's kind of putting us into like menopause, like artificial menopause. Um, So we're not cycling anymore. Our brain's like, oh, we don't need to do this anymore. So most of them do eventually stop um, ovulation. Even the IUDs, um, 
when women first get them, they might still ovulate because that's not their like first mechanism of action, but the pill is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second mechanism of action is it thickens for contraceptive purposes. It thickens the cervical mucus mm-hmm. to prevent sperm entrance. And then it can also thin the uterine lining. And so this is how it would be an abortifacient. So if a woman still ovulates, which definitely can happen on the pill or IUD, and the baby takes about a week to you know, travel to the uterus to implant, if that uterine lining has thinned, then that's when the baby would be aborted. And that's why they actually changed the definition of contraception back in the 60s, I believe, from the moment of fertilization to implantation so that they could sell these as contraceptives meaning before contraception. And they knew that they weren't always working before fertilization. So they had to change the definition of conception to be able to still legally call them contraceptives, but that didn't change when life begins. Yeah. That's fascinating. The historical. (laughs) So what are some of the physical um, side effects, like especially the negative ones of hormonal birth control? Yeah, absolutely. So we have estrogen and progesterone receptors throughout our entire body. They are, in our reproductive system, but they're also in our brain, they're in our heart, they're in our gut, they're in our immune system. And so when we, you know, alter those hormones, they are going to affect our entire body. Mm -hmm. Um, So interestingly enough, like, as far as like our um, neurotransmitters, our mood, our cognition, they can affect your um, neurotransmitters. So causing anxiety or depression or mood swings, there's actually a really, um, there's a whole book out about this called This Is Your Brain on Birth Control. I don't know if you've heard of this. I've heard of it. It's Dr. Sarah Hill, I think her name is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so how these artificial hormones affect our mental health um, also can lead to like brain fog, fuzzy thinking, you know, um, memory issues. Also changes in libido, which is interesting because if women are using them for contraception, it's like, okay, well, you're having a um, lower libido. They actually, I don't know if you've heard, they change who women are attracted to. I have heard. They change your pheromones. It's because it changes. It makes women attracted to men who are more genetically similar, I believe. So like naturally you'll be attracted to someone who's genetically different because then your children will have a stronger immune system. But that um, it changes who women are attracted to and makes them attracted to men genetically similar. And then if women are on hormonal birth control and they get married, and then they go off of it, sometimes they find themselves not attracted to their spouse anymore. Yeah, I've definitely read those case stories. Very interesting science there. Yeah. We have, so um, estrogen's involved in the liver synthesis of cholesterol. So one of the side effects is like dyslipidemia. Medical word just means like cholesterol imbalance. Um, Higher risk of like urinary tract infections, UTIs. Also, you know, our hormones um, regulate our temperature in our brain. So like the hot flashes mm-hmm. or the cold flashes, which you think about with menopause, but I see that a lot. Um, so all these uh, women that are on the artificial hormones, so all these things that are really affecting their quality of life and their health, um, higher risk of, you know, bone issues like osteoporosis. And also women are five times more at risk of IBS, irritable bowel syndrome than men. And um, the, the pill... These artificial hormones can cause like what's colloquially known as leaky gut. Mm-hmm. So bloating, you know, painful GI issues, constipation, diarrhea, um, which is really unfortunate. Um, I think that can also contribute to um, like gluten intolerance, I believe, leaky gut syndrome. 
which makes a lot of sense, like gluten and dairy, which makes a lot of sense looking at today's society and the increase of those intolerances. I'm not 100% sure of the science there, but I've heard that they're linked to leaky gut. So that's that's an interesting connection I've never realized. Right. And then when you think about they affect our immune response too. And so that's a big part of our immune response is our gut, right? Like the um, being able to tolerate different foods. Um, so that's interesting connection there. Um, you know, they also deplete a lot of minerals and vitamins in our body. And so this can affect your thyroid function. This can affect your adrenal health. So this is why women are struggling with the fatigue or the insomnia. Um, and then again, as the major, like, if there was a black box warning on the pill, which people have really advocated for this and there should be, um, because they do have life-threatening side effects as well. So just like an antidepressant says right, right on the top, like this can increase your risk of suicidality, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Same with the pill. It increases risk of... Um, really life-threatening things. So estrogen um, alters our vascular, our vascular um, dilation. And so this can lead to, you know, stroke, deep vein thrombosis, pulmonary embolism. These, all of these have, do and have happened to women. Um, You know, women who suffer from like migraines with auras and like are not supposed to be put on the pill. And, you know, in medical school, we're taught, like you should always screen a woman for clotting um, disorders and migraines before giving them this, but a lot of times that's not done, but those women aren't more at risk of these more serious side effects, again, because how it affects the vascularity of our body. That's really interesting. I've also, we had um, Dr. Angela Lanfranchi on the podcast at one point, and she was talking about how it can also lead to birth con- um, to breast cancer, how yes. using hormonal birth control can increase your risk of breast cancer. Yeah, that's another one. The endometrial cancer and the breast cancer risk is elevated. Can it affect fertility, either short-term or long-term? What does what effect does hormonal birth control have on a woman's fertility yeah, like, when she gets great, off birth control? That's a great question. So there usually is like, I help people detox from birth control and replenish all those minerals that were depleted. Okay. And so a lot of women do struggle with, you know, subfertility once they get off of these artificial hormones. Um, so again, we have to detox your liver, we have to heal your gut, we have to get everything like replenished. Um, and you know, a really sad and sad side effect too, is they're, because they're bandaging, putting a bandaid on a health issue, mm-hmm. some women, you know, are struggling with health issues that cause subfertility and they're not getting them treated sooner. So like, I think a lot about endometriosis, mm-hmm. even PCOS, but endo is, you know, they say most women suffer from that for about. 10 years, I think is the average, maybe 15 before they're like even diagnosed or taken seriously for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that really could obviously co- lead to subfertility. But if they're not getting that treated, that's going to take even longer to, you know, be able to achieve that. Same with like heavy menstrual bleeding. Like there are so many things that could cause that and so many things we should rule out. And a lot of times I see women that are just given the pill um, without really a thorough workup. And so, you know, it could be hormonal, but it could be structural, it could be fibroids or endometrial polyps. It could be, you know, endometrial cancer or like hyperplasia. So there's a lot of things you want to look at or clotting issue before just like treating it with a pill. Yeah. Why do you think the medical community pushes the pill so hard for all of these like 
as the Band-Aid fix for everything when it so clearly has all these negative side effects and is masking real problems? Yeah, I think um, that's a great question. It is interesting that women's health is like pretty pretty unique in the fact that it's the one field of medicine where they you kind of get the same treatment for anything that's wrong with you. <laughs> um, you know, it's the pill <laughs> for like everything. And I mean, I'm sure, again, pharmaceutical companies make a lot of money. So I'm sure this is a big part of it. Um, for some women, they, like I said earlier, like some women, they do minimize their symptoms. Like I have some patients that had really, really heavy bleeding or a lot of pain and, you know, their artificial hormones did help a little. Mm-hmm. Um, they're leading to other side effects, but for them, it's like the benefits are outweighing the risk to a certain point, mm-hmm. right? Until they want to get pregnant or whatever it is um, where I'm like, okay, well, let's help you address your body, get your body back up um, to health as much as possible so that when you take out the IUD or take off, stop taking the pill, then you're not going to be flooded with like super heavy periods again, or like a lot of pain. So I can start treating them while they're already on these and help them kind of like get off. Mm -hmm. So if a woman, like if a teen girl walked into your office with heavy menstrual bleeding or any of these symptoms that normally get treated with a pill, how would you help them? Oh my gosh. I love when teenagers come. (laughs) No, it's great. I love when teenagers come because especially if they've never been on the pill, because then we can just actually start treating them. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I like really encourage them to start charting with the Creighton model fertility care system, which we might talk about a little bit more, but, um, this is the best form of women's healthcare in the whole entire world. It's the best studied biomarker of human ovulation. And it's the first time ever that we as doctors and women have had an objective way to look at the entire menstrual cycle. So not just the period, but your whole cycle. So if I can get them doing that, that's incredible. They connect with their body and then I can see objectively what's going on. But we'll start real basic. You know, from naturopathic standpoint, treating heavy bleeding in young women, they're so vital. So usually can you can help them a lot. Um, it is important to remember when you're young, like, you know, your estrogen's high, really high for the first time coming on board. So a lot of times it is kind of normal to have somewhat heavy, but it shouldn't be too heavy. You shouldn't be changing a pad more than every two hours, for example, for tampon. And so, you know, some key supplements work very, very well in young women. So like turmeric works better than even like NSAIDs. Like Advil is like the conventional treatment for heavy bleeding. Tumor's really great because it's similar mechanism, but it's without the hard liver side effects and it's decreasing inflammation in the whole body. Um, zinc is a fantastic treatment. Also iron. So interestingly, like we all know heavy bleeding can cause iron deficiency, but sometimes iron deficiency originally can cause heavy bleeding. And iron deficiency can also manifest as like mood issues, like anger, depression even, which is interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so I usually start with that kind of basic stuff. You know, one in three women have a dairy intolerance. It's to the protein, not the lactose. Um, and that can really, you know, removing that even temporarily can really help with that heavy bleeding um, because the histamine and estrogen are into, intricately connected. And so like the dairy sometimes drives that histamine, which drives the estrogen, which drives the heavy bleeding. Mm-hmm. So there's actually like there's so many more things than that we even could talk about. It's quite individualized what I do. Um, but like I said, if they were charting with Creighton, as kind of like a higher level treatment that could is very, very helpful. And what is natural creative technology is using that bio-identical progesterone. 
So this is the same exact hormone the body naturally makes, unlike the progestins found in artificial hormones. So bioidentical progesterone, it can really lighten heavy bleeding, it can reduce PMS, but we want to make sure you give it after you ovulate. If you give it before you ovulate, it could disrupt your natural ovulation. And we don't want to do that because ovulation is our superpower. It's such a great thing because it makes progesterone, but a lot of women need more. Um, they need a progesterone boost because cortisol, the stress hormone, actually depletes progesterone. And so a lot of women in our society, high stress, low progesterone, it's very common. But that's, that's just one, one case study, I guess you could say. You said ovulation is our superpower. Why is that? Yeah. So ovulation, you know, there's so many unique things about the female body, but there's three things in particular that a woman's body can do that no man's body can ever do really. And that's ovulate. So this is ability to release the egg from the ovary that carries that potential for new human life, right? And then pregnancy and breastfeeding. But when it comes to ovulation, this is so important for every single woman from teenager through menopause, because it's so it's such a vital sign for our health and so underappreciated. <laughs> when we ovulate, it's the only time that our body's going to make some significant levels of progesterone. Progesterone mm-hmm. is a magical hormone that makes us feel very relaxed. It's a natural anxiolytic, so it makes you feel calm. Mm-hmm. It helps you have deep sleep. Um, it strengthens your bones. You know, it helps your gut health. It does so many things throughout your whole body, um, and so it's just so essential for, for all women. Um, like healthy ovulation is such a marker of overall health. I see a lot of young women that have, you know, they're struggling with anxiety or insomnia. I had a patient that she had such bad anxiety. She was having panic attacks and like, she hadn't slept through the night in years. And when we started her on that bioidentical progesterone, like it calmed down she was sleeping through the night. Even her psychiatrist was like, wow, like, what are you doing? And she's like, I had a hormone imbalance. So is that part of the reason hormonal birth control causes such bad effects is because women aren't ovulating? Because you mentioned it affects your bone density and your mood and all of that. So is part of the negative effects of hormonal birth control due to the fact that they're suppressing ovulation? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. A lot of them are directly because of that. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. In addition to like, they're very inflammatory because they're steroids, but they're synthetic, you know, and they deplete the minerals. How do you help women um, basically detox from birth control? How, like, what tips do you have for women who are getting off of hormonal birth control? Like, what? How that's can they a, help like regain control of their fertility? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So, our liver is the seat of our hormones, and so liver. I am a huge fan of castor oil packs. It's an old school naturopathic remedy. I myself do them. Um, very, very good for the liver. So, castor oil packs. But just basic things too, like really focusing. I do a ton of work on nutrition Mm -hmm. um, and I see my clients pretty frequently. So I know sometimes these lifestyle things can be harder to change than taking a pill, Mm -hmm. but you have to, you have to have good nutrition. Um, You know, even just avoiding like highly processed, ultra processed foods and getting more vegetables in is like a great way to start. Um, Hydration, you know, clean water, trying to filter your water because when we're drinking unfiltered water, you know, you're. A lot of times we're drinking those trace pharmaceuticals or hormones that other women are peeing out, right? Um, and sometimes I do use, you know, medicinal grade supplements to really replenish the body of those minerals that were being depleted. 
Mm-hmm. So these are kind of like some of the basic things that we start with. So for women that have been on hormonal birth control and are getting off of it, do you see like those symptoms go away pretty quickly? Do they take longer? Like what is the like, I guess, lasting impact of hormonal birth control and can it be resolved? Oh, that's a great question too. And that's extremely variable. Okay. It's so variable. Some women, they start ovulating right again to my amazement. You know, I had a client, like I was trying to counsel her to maybe like avoid trying to conceive just to make sure her hormones were safe and she wasn't going to suffer from a miscarriage. <clears throat> you know, she went ahead and conceived and had a healthy pregnancy. So God's ways aren't our ways. But then I also have patients that have come off of it. And it's been a couple of years, you know, and it's like, we've done all the things. So it's really just patience at that point and keep trusting the wisdom of the body. You know, I, I'm had missing periods for many years, um, amenorrhea, and it wasn't due to artificial hormones. It was due to other reasons. So I kind of know that power of like trusting the body, being patient, like keep taking care of yourself. Like it's your body's so wise (laughs) and it wants to heal. And a lot of these symptoms that people have are just your body's way of telling you, like, I need help. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's a good thing, even though they can be miserable. Why do you think it's empowering for women to quit hormonal birth control and start really understanding their fertility and tracking it with the Creighton model and just understanding that gift of fertility. How do you think that empowers women? Yeah, well, I can speak from experience. You know, when I started, when I learned this at age 35, it is hard to put into words how healing it was, not just physically. Yes, physically, because my body knew I was paying attention, right? And so I've actually heard stories of women who have had irregular cycles. They start charting Mm -hmm. and their body knows you're paying attention and starts to regulate, which is fascinating. Or, you know, we're so complex really multidimensional beings, but also like it healed me so much, um, emotionally, Mm -hmm. mentally, psychologically, spiritually, you know, our, we just hold so much. Our reproductive system is just so deep. (laughs) So we hold so much there. So it's so empowering to really value, to respect our bodies. Um, cause like if we don't value and respect our own body, like how can we expect someone else to do that? And, you know, I know myself, like growing up, I didn't think my fertility mattered unless I was married and trying to get pregnant. And I think that does a really big disservice to women because it teaches you like your fertility doesn't matter. You don't matter. And like, it's just, um, if you don't have a good confidence and self-esteem, which how can you, when you're not connected to your own body, then sometimes it sets you up for bad relationships and to be abused too, you know, which again, I experienced. And so I feel like this also affects when women value themselves, they are opening themselves up to better relationships too. That's really interesting. I've never thought of that connection before, but I have heard like that your fertility is your fifth vital sign and that women, it's really, it's so complex and it affects every aspect of a woman's body. So it's so important to be able to understand it and be able to understand a woman's body and not just body of like humans in general, because men's bodies and women's bodies are very different in the way their hormone cycles work. Cause men have like the 24 hour, like just normal every day. You're the same um, cycle. And then women have the like month long cycle of hormones and just being able to understand yours and understand like your own health in light of that and how it affects everything. I mean, it's just incredible to be able to really be an active participant in your own healthcare too, to really know your body that well. 
what exactly is the Creighton model? You mentioned it earlier and I was going to ask, but I wanted to let you finish yeah. your thought and I forgot. So what oh, exactly? Oh, yeah. Is I know we could talk about this for hours. Um, so the Creighton model, <clears throat> this was, it's called Creighton because it was, um, the early research happened at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. Since then, the they've been able to open their own institute for medical treatment and research. And this is called the St. Paul VI Institute. It's mm-hmm. still in Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. And so the Creighton model, it's the first time ever in women's health care that we've had a system that links, you know, the ability to naturally achieve or avoid pregnancy. So like um, birth, natural birth regulation with comprehensive women's health care. And so we have medical, surgical and perinatal applications at this point. So I'm I teach the charting and I also am a medical consultant. The Creighton model also has given us um a couple landmark developments, two of which are um, first time ever in women's healthcare, we have something called the vaginal discharge recording system. Mm -hmm. This is a standardized international system used all around the world. And it um, has a specific way to notate vaginal discharge from cervical mucus from blood. And so any woman or doctor trained in this method have that shared language. Um, and also, for the first time ever, we have um, the picture dictionary, and it's 16 standardized observations that every single day, us as the reproductive age women, we will see, um, be able to fit ourselves into one of those categories every single day. And so those are two of the big landmark developments that came with the Creighton model. Um, the Creighton model is also has the best studied biomarker of human ovulation. So all you need is to pay attention to your own body. You're given the tools and training how to do that and how to chart it. So it's more accurate than like, you know, the apps. I always affirm women, it's good that you're tracking. That's so great. You're paying attention to your body. But they're algorithms. They're never going to be as close and precise as what your own body tells you every single day, right? Um, Some people take their temperature to find out their fertility or, you know, have those ovulation predictor kits. And I could talk a lot about those. Again, they're not as accurate as paying attention to your own body. So that, in a nutshell, is the Creighton model. Um, I can tell you about the history if you're interested. Yeah, that would be great. Um, so this is the um, textbook. Oh, my. <laughs> that goes along with the Creighton model. Yeah. So the history, just real quick, it was... Um, all motivated in response to Humani Vitae, which is an encyclical written in 1968 by Pope Paul VI. Dr. Thomas Hilgers, the doctor who started this all, he's an OBGYN. And he read that encyclical when he was a fourth year medical student and he took it to heart. So at the end of it, it says, you know, men of science, doctors, you need to understand how um, the human body works so women can live in harmony with it, women and couples. So Dr. Hilgers, you know, he started, he started doing the research and he developed this whole system of, again, natural family planning or natural birth regulation. And then he was like, wow, like this information gives me so much data about a woman's health. And so the research just kept going and going and going. And so now, like just looking at a woman's chart, you know, I can, for myself or like my clients, I can see you know, all these biomarkers. Like we look at how many days of premenstrual spotting, how many days of tail end brown bleeding. What's your mucus cycle like? We have a standardized mucus cycle um, score that we do. So much information. And then I can time my labs, I can time the progesterone if they need that. And it could be a great tool for helping women conceive who are struggling with infertility as well, correct? 
Absolutely. Because again, it's finding the underlying cause. Infertility is not a diagnosis. It's a symptom of a deeper health issue. And so the Creighton model is three times more effective for treating um, infertility than IVF. And I, I don't, I'm doing the quotes because IVF is not treating it. It's just kind of jumping over, yeah. you know, but we know it's not that effective. And so again, we're treating the underlying health issue. Women feel better in the process. It's really great for marriages, you know, because they're going through this together. And um, the overall end result is three times more effective. It's interesting because at one point in college, I learned that in the fall, four relationships were harmed. We had our he, like man's relationship with God, his relationship with himself, his relationship with other people, and his relationship with nature. And I feel like the more that women learn about their own fertility, they're healing that relationship with themselves, which is also healing their relationship with God and their relationship with other people and with nature in a sense. Like that the more that you try to understand God's gift of fertility, the better your relationships all around are going to be. And it's in a sense like trying to undo the effects of the fall and really try to heal those relationships that were harmed by sin. And I love, I love just looking at the moral life that way of like, how is this healing my relationship? How healing one of those four relationships. And then also the fact that contraception on the flip side is harming all of those. It's sinful. So you're harming your relationship with God. It's masking a woman's own gift of fertility from herself. It's affecting her relationships around her because she's attracted to different types of people or she's dealing with emotional mood swings or going to affect the people around her in that way. And it's also so bad for the environment. So it's also hurting nature by putting all these synthetic hormones into not just her own body, but then into the world around her, which I think is just so interesting that you have what you're doing, that focusing on fertility, trying to heal a woman's fertility, help her understand it is so healing in so many ways. And then just slapping the pill on for every problem is harming women and physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Yeah. Well said. That was a very good summary, Colleen. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Is there anything you else you'd want to share with our listeners before we wrap up? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, let me just say if I have any other last minute things I need to share. Um, no, I think that was everything. I just, yeah, I just want to affirm women, like be proud and being a woman, it's time to really start understanding how your body works. Um, we're called to live again, have dominion over nature, right? Not domination. And so connecting with your body, it's such a gift to yourself and to your daughters if you have them. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been, I love talking about women's fertility because I think it's so important and also just really warning people about the effects of hormonal birth control because it is going to harm a woman's body and separate her from herself. And I'm glad that we had the chance to have that conversation. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. And to all of our listeners, please like, subscribe, check out the new eBooks we have coming out. I'll put them on the end screen and keep on living the culture of life. God bless.